the incomparable. Number 159, September 2013. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And when we last left The Incomparable, we had done the first two rounds of our second movie draft, where we pick a bunch of movies that we think that you should see and a sort of virtual film festival. So we did the first two rounds last week, seven people, seven movies each. That was 14. We're going to do three more rounds at a little bit faster pace than last week. It couldn't really be much slower. Uh, my participants are, in the order in which they'll pick, Andy Anatko, David Lore, Steve Lutz, Monty Ashley, John Syracusa, Dan Morin, and then I will pick last as the host. Anyway, let's pick it up in round three. We're, we're back up to the third pick, so Andy, it's your turn. Linking back to Pelham 123, which one of the reasons I like was because it's like all of these character actors. This is a more recent movie, The, the Big Year from uh, 2011, uh, which uh, one of the reasons why I have cable is that it's there's a great it's great when they just simply program these movies that maybe you saw the trailer when it was released but there was just nothing to motivate you to see it and then by the time it hit video you'd totally forgotten all about it this really is a terrific little movie um the basic premise is that uh if you're a serious bird watcher, maybe one of the things on your bucket list is to do this thing called a big year, which means you spend an entire calendar year from January 1st to December 31st trying to spot as many species of bird in North America as possible. Uh, and there are records for this, and it's it's really intense thing. So it's about uh, Jack Black and Steve Martin and Owen Wilson as three different birders who are all ha having a big year at the same time. Owen Wilson holds like this what was often thought of as this unbreakable record of 730 birds in one year. Uh, but this is this is the year that El Nino has changed has like really changed where birds are going to be landing. And so now both Steve Martin and Jack Black think that well I've always wanted to do this and I love birding and maybe this is a good year for, for us to do this and as i'm explaining this you're probably imagining that at, at one point steve martin will like be clutching onto the hood of a runaway rv <laughs> and that will then throw him into a latrine or something like that and it's nothing like that because it, it's like you know, what i like what i was saying about Zelig. it's like every obvious joke that's right there ready to be reached and picked up they leave it there and they really go into even though they maintain it as a comedy about three people who love this sport one of whom is super and, – and three people who are into this big year for very different reasons, uh, and they go through all these little adventures, and they become different – and they sort of learn something about their own lives by the end of the year, even though it is funny. Now, the reason why it connects back to Pelham 123 is that one of the things I love about it is that it's just chock full of character actors and character roles. Um, uh, and Owen Wilson was in uh, Tannenbaum's, also, but also uh, also Angelica Houston. Angelica Houston is in this movie as the owner of a boat who uh, does uh, does birding tours called the Annie Alcolet. Uh, Jim Parsons from uh, from Big Bang Theory is uh, the the operator of a birding blog. Uh, Brian Dennehy, one of the kings of character actors, is Jack Black's uh, dad, uh, and one of my favorite character character uh, character actors, Kevin Pollack does ex does the sort of performance as uh, the uh, uh, Steve Martin plays CEO of a huge chemical corporation that has been he's been trying to retire for years but he keeps like not wanting to retire so this is his way to say look I'm definitely retiring Kevin Pollack plays like the one of his underlings who you know is now steering his company 
and he has so few scenes, but in every single scene, he delivers the goods with just, not even just with a couple of lines, with one gesture, with one thing like that. So, I, I, like I said, I, I didn't really, I didn't see it until it came on HBO, and then the first time I saw like the last forty-five minutes of it. I was so charmed by how well drawn these characters are, how there really are no enemies and there are no bad guys in this movie. It really is about these people individually and they interact with each other, but it really is how they individually approach this and what this big year represents to them and that particular point in their lives. Uh, you will also finally the uh, you also notice that how carefully Every movie is art directed because, of course, everyone had each these characters has a cell phone. Jack Black is like a working sort of a working class guy. He has like a contract flip phone. Uh, uh, Steve Martin is the corporate exec and he has a BlackBerry. Owen Wilson is kind of a jerk jackass, so he has an iPhone. <laughs> uh, I can't. I haven't seen the movie, so I can't. I can't speak to that. But I. I. Uh, I actually read the book by uh, Mark Obamsik. Ob I think his name mm -hmm. is. Uh, who's a, I want to say a Sports Illustrated writer. Uh, great book. I can say that. I can say that the book is the book is a, a really enjoyable read, and and um, I love books and movies about people who are obsessed with uh, things that most people are not obsessed with. It's fascinating. I got the I got the book on Audible like after this to see like what the real story was like, and yeah, it's like it, it, you really do enjoy seeing people who have a certain passion that you do not share, yep. but who have an ability to articulate that passion that make you understand why they love this thing so exactly. much. Exactly, David, your turn. Well, um, I wanted to pick a, a film that had been adapted from a play because you know I do theater, so it was like, well, all right, which one do I pick? And I mean, there are a lot of really good adaptations of, of plays, but I decided to go with Night of the Iguana, which is maybe not a great adaptation of a play, but it's kind of an interesting group of people shoved together in a hotel in Mexico during a, a tropical storm or tropical depression or something, and an iguana. There is actually an iguana. Um, but the reason it's interesting to me is partly because you have Richard Burton in full William Shatner mode. <laughs> and I swear, William Shatner got all his, his shtick from Burton, except Burton knew how to do it well. <laughs> um, and and I, I say that with love. I love William Shatner. But, um, but the other thing that's great about it is you have Ava Gardner is the uh, woman who owns the hotel that all these people are at. You've got uh, Richard Burton... And uh, it was just after he had married Elizabeth Taylor, who was ragingly jealous that he was going off to Mexico with Eva Gardner. And uh, you have John Huston directing it. And I forget who else there was. Oh, Sue Lyon, who was Lolita in Stanley Kubrick's film. And apparently the mood on the set was so happy and so wonderful that John Huston bought a pistol and specially engraved bullets for each of the for, for Burton and Taylor and Ava Gardner with all of their all of the other people's names engraved on the bullets and said here's your set here you go and so it's kind of fun to watch them all getting progressively more manic as the film goes on um cuz you you kind of wonder how much of it is acting and how much of it is it they're driving one another crazy um but i mean it, it, you know it's it's a fun pressure cooker of a thing watching characters go nuts and you get to see Burton have a breakdown um like two-thirds of the way through the film it's it's you know um but yeah I just it's it's fun thinking about 
the poisonous atmosphere behind it. And yet it turned out a not bad film. All right. Night of the Iguana. Great. A not bad film. A not bad a film. A not bad film. <laughs> with, with Full Shatner. From Full Richard Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, Steve, your turn. All right. Having just talked about Poltergeist, I'm going to take a slight departure with my next film, which is 1977's The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Good. No, solid choice. I I totally yeah. support and, this choice. I yeah. didn't find that that scary. That scared me more than Poltergeist. I am not picking this just as an excuse to work the word poo into my festival title. <laughs> not just. No, no, I, I love it because <laughs> it's so utterly gentle and totally removed from worldly concerns. Mm-hmm. It is the quintessential childhood movie. Um, it does a surprisingly faithful job, I think, of of recreating the wonderful Milne books. The the art, of course, differs substantially from the E.M. Shepard style in the books, but it, it has to because those those drawings are basically kind of scribbly, and I don't think they would translate terribly well to the animation. So uh, I think the character designs they came up with were pretty darn good, considering. But mostly I love this movie because Sterling Holloway's voice is so freaking perfect oh, yeah. for Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> this, uh, this movie came out when I was five, and um, some of the featurettes that were stitched together to make it actually predate that by several years. So when I was very small, I had uh, I had a few Disney records that told the stories with the original voice actors, and I would put them on when I went to bed. So Sterling Holloway, to me, is the sound of being lulled to sleep by yeah. by that oh, wonderful, wonderful voice. And uh, so really love the movie. Uh, the animation could be better. I mean, it's it's from that weird period when it looked like Disney animators weren't erasing their pencil lines for some reason. Uh, you know, that happened kind of throughout the mid seventies and, but, uh, if you can ignore that, it's, it's a terrific little movie that, uh, still works for me to this day. And it it also contains that great final line that, uh, never fails to make me weep uncontrollably, which is, um, Christopher Robin is leaving the hundred acre wood to go to school. And he's trying to explain that to Pooh, but Pooh, of course, uh, being a bear of very little brain doesn't really understand. And then the uh, the last scene kind of has them walking off together into the evening, and Sebastian Cabot, the narrator, announces, wherever they go and whatever happens to them on the way, in their enchanted place on top of the forest, a little bear will always be waiting. Oh. And I, I just I remember seeing that part when I was about 10 years old and suddenly realizing, oh, everything I love I will someday outgrow. Mm. <laughs> it works very, very well. Good. Sterling Holloway is fantastic. You're absolutely right. He's great. I wish I wish he'd done more voiceover work. Yeah. Because he's good in this, and he's good in uh, Jungle Book as Ka the Python. Right. And I think he actually shows up in Robin Hood as well. Bit of an odd duck. Yes. A little bit. Okay. The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. It's on the board. It's on the board. Monty, what do you got? Third Man. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Good kidding about pick. that. The fourth oh. man. But I will briefly say that if you like the third man, I highly recommend you find the radio drama, The Many Lives yes. of Harry Very Lime. Because yeah. it's a prequel, so he can be as evil as he wants, and there's an assumption that he'll eventually get his comeuppance later in the movie. Right. I, well, and I love I love the every episode for the first couple of episodes starts with, you may remember I was shot to death in a sewer. <laughs> <laughs> You do get pretty sick of the zither. 
Yes. Yeah. 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 Half zither. Yeah. Sick of the zither. All right. What do you What do you have for us, Monty? Well, my theme is clearly martial arts movies that have miraculously gotten DVD releases in the face of public scorn. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to give clearly. you one that just got a DVD release a couple of weeks ago. Ninja 3, The Domination. You shop at a lot of gas stations, don't you? <laughs> no, I go to Scarecrow Video, the finest video store in the world. Why do you ask? There you go. It's inside a gas station. <laughs> I missed the first two ninjas, so you're going to have to get me up to speed. Well, like all of the ninja movies, this has nothing to do with any of the other ninja movies. Oh, okay. Except that, it's, except that it stars Sho Kosugi, who was the only ninja actor through the entire 1980s. You might remember him from The Master. Oh, yes, The Master. I do. Master Ninja. Yeah. With Lee Van Cleef. Is that the, the master you're thinking of, or is it a different master? Yeah, Shokosugi yeah. was the bad ninjas, and also anytime Lee Van Cleef's face wasn't visible, he was, he was Shokosugi. Yeah, okay. I have a theory that one of the reasons ninja movies are so popular is that you can completely cover your actor and bring in any stuntman you want. <laughs> now, what made Ninja 3 The Domination a change of pace was it had a female as the protagonist. And she's played by Lucinda Dickey, who you probably mm. don't remember, but she was the star <laughs> yeah. of Breakin' and Breakin' 2 Electric Boogaloo, <laughs> which were both also this year, I think. <laughs> Big year for her. She had a busy year. That was her only year. <laughs> the year of the Dickey. She said, I'm going to be in movies, right but in only there. in 1984, and then I'm done. Yes. I'm out. And not very good ones. Now, in this movie, ninjas have the power to possess people supernaturally. And on the DVD commentary, the director explains that the reason they did that is because they figured people wouldn't find it plausible that a woman could do martial arts. <laughs> wow. So they went to the perfectly natural alternate answer of supernatural effects. Uh, the actual plot is pretty boring, but there is a seduction scene where she's giving a guy a lap dance, opens a can of V8, and seductively pours it down her cleavage. <laughs> Is that product placement? Uh, this is while the ninja's possessing her? How have I not seen this movie? I could have had a V8. You should have had a I V8. I will subdue you with my ninja pole twirling. While she's doing this, her face says, I am certain this is the sexiest thing anyone has ever seen. And it isn't. And she lives in the most 1980s specific apartment ever. It's just a great big room with a stand-up arcade machine and nagel prints everywhere. Oh, yeah, excellent. <laughs> it is a very odd movie. And really? somehow it not only got a DVD release a couple of weeks ago, it has director's commentary and everything. Oh, wow. That's awesome. That, that director, that was the one movie he made, right? So he just really wanted to get some He, he wasn't too busy? I, I don't know. Some of these movies were accidentally directed by people who went on to do things. Well, this, this guy directed Break Into Electric Boogaloo. Oh, did he? Oh, good for him. Yeah. That that movie's awful, by the way. If you're curious, half of the breakdancers are just mimes they found in the park. See, I had heard that Breakin' 2 was the better of the Breakin' movies, <laughs> but I guess not. Listen, the problem with Breakin' 2, and I can go on about this oh, for as long uh, as you like. <laughs> maybe, maybe you could be, is there any kung fu in that? Because then you could just pick it next time. And uh, There's no kung Damn. fu in that. There is some dance fighting in Breakin'. Where people, you know, kind of lock at each other. All right. Dance. <laughs> like, rerun. You know. Lock at each other. That's great. That's There's not enough three, for my the taste. Domination. The Domination. The Domination from 1984. You cannot look at a frame of this movie and not know it's from 1984. <laughs> Excellent. That's great. I, I think people are going to really like the... Uh... 
the kung fu uh, kung fu day at the at the film festival. I think that's this would be, be a fun night if you come on down oh, to man. the drive-in at the outskirts of town. <laughs> come on, the drive-in, right? That's right. All right, John Syracuse, you're up. Sorry, you can't pick Ninja Three: The Domination. I'm pretty sure I've seen that one too. Yeah, <laughs> for being truthful here. Yeah. Any of the other Ninja va- movies are still available. Yes. And I've also seen Break In and Break In Two. Wow. <laughs> yeah. USA Network is what I blame for a lot. Uh, of these <laughs> yeah. All up right. All so night. up all night with Rhonda Shear and Gilbert Gottfried. Gilbert Gottfried. Oh, please, it's it's up all night. Yes. All right, so uh, to understand why I picked this movie, the thing you have to know about me is that I like the good Jason Bourne movies better than I like most James Bond movies. Uh, I like my spying movies realistic, in scare quotes, but still. Uh, and so this is... Bourne uh, movies, very realistic. Yeah, it's in scare quotes. Uh, and this is a 2006 movie. Uh, called The Good Shepherd, and I didn't know this until I went to the IMDb page, but it was directed by Robert De Niro. I had no idea. Uh, I don't think that factors into it at all here, but it's got a hell of a cast. It's got Matt Damon in the the lead, Angelina Jolie, Alec Baldwin, Billy Crudup, Robert De Niro, the guy from 2001 whose name I can't pronounce, Michael Gambon, William Hurt, Timothy Hutton, like, you know, the big stars in, in Le- sort of Le- an Le- ensemble cast. Too, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I stopped. I stopped copying and pasting from IMDb at a certain point, but huge cast. <laughs> a, a seemingly long. I didn't look at the actual running time, but it seems like a long movie, and that's what I like. I like it to be long and drawn out, and it's kind of the uh, the sprawling history of the CIA and one family's involvement in it. Uh, and I don't want to spoil too much of the plot. That's all you really need to know. Do you like your movies, your spy movies, kind of like slow and sinister? Uh, do you like sprawling multi-character movies that have that span two generations of a family? Do you like movies without a lot of comedy and uh, very dark and kind of serious music the whole time? Then this is the movie for you. Uh, It also has one of the most tragic death scenes in any movie I've ever seen. Uh, And my favorite thing about the tragic death scene, which I will not spoil, is that it may not actually be all that tragic, Uh, which I think is a great twist. Or is it? Or isn't it? It is. Mm. It isn't. Anyway, if you have never heard of The Good Shepherd, because I hadn't heard of it until I caught it on like Netflix or something a couple of years ago, I, I don't know if it did very well in the theater or whatever but if you like that type of movie go netflix it now you will not be disappointed it seemed to earn back its uh, budget which means it you know it probably ended up over many many years breaking even but you know not a success in the box office yeah they had to pay all those actors yeah well and some actual real life you know basis i was just remembering that the uh yeah the the character on whom matt damon is or the person on whom matt damon's character is based is a rather I don't say notorious, but like very, very famous CIA agent as far as those things go. And there is sort of a, a little bit of a true story behind some of it or inspired by. And the interesting thing is Matt Damon doesn't play like the fresh face kid in this movie. Like for the, the latter part of the movie, he is there is a fresh face kid in the movie and it's his son. Uh, I forget who, which actor that is. But uh, but anyway, it's, it's especially a change of pace because it's like, oh, uh, Matt Damon, that's like the Goodwill hunting guy, right? Nope, not in this movie. All right, I want to talk to you about our first sponsor. It's Warby Parker. These are the rebels of eyewear. They're dedicated to the belief that really nice eyewear, really nice glasses and sunglasses shouldn't cost a fortune. They shouldn't cost as much as a high-end iPhone. Their prescription glasses start at $95, including the prescription lenses, and their titanium frames collection, including lenses, starts at $145. 
All their glasses already have anti-reflective and anti-glare coating. There's no markup. They come with a case. They come with a cleaning cloth. And here's the best part. This is an online store for glasses. They do have some showrooms in some places, including San Francisco, where I live. But you can order them online, and you can do it without fear that you're going to get something that wasn't at all what you thought it was when you saw it on the web. They'll send you up to five pairs of glasses in their home try-on program. They ship them directly to you. You keep them for up to five days. You try them on in the comfort of your own home, and then you send them back with a prepaid label after you've made your decision. And if you don't like any of them, there's no obligation to purchase. But you can get that assurance that this is actually what you're going to get. And then when you place the order... They'll have them in your hands within 10 business days, and it's usually even faster than that. They also have their heart in the right place for every pair of glasses Warby Parker sells. They distribute a pair of glasses to somebody in need because Warby Parker doesn't just believe that glasses should be affordable for everybody. They also believe that people in need should be able to see, and so they give them glasses as well, and they've got this donation program. Now, there are also sunglasses. They have non-prescription polarized sunglasses. Those start at 95 or 145 with titanium frames, and the prescription polarized glasses start at 150, 195 for titanium. So, Warby Parker, they believe glasses should be a fashion accessory. It should be fashionable. These are vintage-inspired designs. They believe that they should be reasonably priced. They believe that all sorts of people should have access to quality eyeglasses. And they believe that online shoppers shouldn't have to freak out because they're worried that what they just bought isn't going to be good when they get it. You get to try it on. So a very cool idea. Warby Parker is the name. You go to warbyparker.com, and it's W-A-R-B-Y-P-A-R-K-E-R. Check it out. Get some glasses in. See if your next new pair of glasses fits you in the comfort of your own home. Use the code SNELL, which is my last name. Thank you very much. I hope you know that by now since you've been listening to my show. Use the code SNELL, and you'll get a free three-day shipping deal from Warby Parker. So try it out, warbyparker.com. And thanks to Warby Parker for sponsoring The Incomparable. Dan, it's your turn. Well, having picked sneakers and zero effect i can only finish this off with the third movie in a trilogy um which is i just realized also takes place the same or is filmed the same year as sneakers and that is 1992's army of darkness nice by Mm. directed by sam raimi um excellent excellent movie in jason you mentioned evil dead 2 earlier so this is the third movie in the evil dead trilogy um and the first one I ever saw, which was because it perhaps made a little better entrant for someone like me who doesn't like horror movies that much, though I have seen and enjoyed Evil Dead 2, um, which is only kind of partially a horror movie. It's a comedy. Um, yeah, it's really a comedy, which is why I like it. But Army of Darkness, which is, is the story of um, Ash from the first two Evil Dead movies, who was transported back in time at the events um, at the end of Evil Dead 2 and ends up in the Dark Ages, basically, where he is a slave. Um, and then when the uh, castle he is in, uh, uh, has been enslaved into is under attack by evil minions, he is forced to come to their, uh, their rescue. But, of course, he does this in his own particular way. Um, and this you know, movie contains many, many great things, including um, homages to classic... Uh, Harryhausen stop motion uh, battles with skeletons. Um, the Three Stooges are also referenced in here. <laughs> uh, the Day the Earth Stood Still, I believe, is also uh, referenced with the uh, the three pa- words of Klaatu, power. Varata, Klaatu, Varata, Klaatu, Varata. But Bruce Campbell, who is you know rightfully a a movie icon, 
if a B-movie icon is is fantastic here. This is, to my mind, probably his best work. Um, and it's just, it's, you know, Sam Raimi before Sam Raimi sort of got into mainstream Hollywood movies. You, but you can see all the things in here that that show up in his later movies. I mean, if you watch the, uh, the Dr. Octopus scene in Spider-Man 2, you know, there's like direct references back to his work in Evil Dead. Huh. Um, it's just the way he shoots it. He's got a very distinctive methodology and there's certain shots he really loves to reuse. Um, and it's, it's terribly cheesy at points, but kind of in a, in a delightful, hilarious way. Um, lots of little players who show up in, in other, there's bizarre little roles for Bridget Fonda appears very briefly. Um, and Beth Davids, who, who plays the the love interest, who some might know in more recent years as uh, Jared Harris's wife on Mad Men, um, and of course Ted Raimi, Sam Raimi's brother, <laughs> who appears as a three different characters. <laughs> um, but it's also one, another one of those movies that is that is eminently quotable. Give me some sugar, baby. And pretty much anything <laughs> Bruce Campbell says in this movie is is just instant instant classic so if you ever played duke nukem virtually every single line from that is cribbed from this film (laughs) (laughs) um yeah this it's just it's just a great movie this the skeleton fight at the end if nothing else is just totally worth it although don't make the mistake i did originally when i bought this on dvd i bought like what was supposedly i think the director's cut and it has a different. The version I had only had an in, an ending that was different from the theatrical release of the movie. Yeah, there are at least three separate releases of Army of Darkness. The the quote unquote director's cut ending, which is not the theatrical cut ending, is actually worse. I would argue. So I later acquired a separate version that has both endings. Um, but the original ending is seen in the theaters. I think is a is a much more satisfying satisfying ending. And if you haven't seen this movie, I don't I. I don't even. I have nothing for you. Why? What's wrong with you? <laughs> All right. I just haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen Army of Darkness, oh, Jason. <laughs> have you seen Jason. Evil Dead 2? I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet. I haven't it's seen a, Evil Dead yet. Evil Dead the evolution year? of Evil Dead is is very interesting because Evil yeah. Dead, the original mm-hmm. Evil Dead, is is straight up horror, and it's yeah. really good as as a horror film. It's it's genuinely mm-hmm. scary, and uh, it's in the it's Netflix. Pretty theater. twisted. It's in there. And then Evil Dead 2 suddenly becomes like the Benny Hill horror movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a comedy. And it, aside yeah. from it being a comedy, it's almost exactly the same movie as Evil Dead. Yep. <laughs> right. Although it has the single best visual pun play on words ever made in a movie. I will say that. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'm going to see him. I got, I'll see him eventually. And then Army of Darkness is basically like more it. like I a fantasy epic, right. you know, Jason and the Argonauts style sure. than anything else. They were going to so. call it Medieval Dead. And then they re- and then they remade Evil Dead. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's my turn to go to wrap up the third round, and uh, I am gonna I'm gonna pick. This is gonna, gonna be a little complicated. I am going to pick another James Cameron movie uh, to go with Steve's choice of the Terminator. Uh, I'm gonna pick The Abyss, but it's the special mm. edition where they added back Excellent all the things pick. that make that movie good because the original <laughs> release is crappy. But the special edition, which I saw in 70 millimeter, I believe, or it was on a giant screen. I think it was 70 millimeter. Um, it, it is spectacular. Spectacular. So I saw it when they, when they did the home video special edition release. They did a, uh, a, a limited uh, film release, and I saw it in San Francisco. And um, 
it's a really good movie. And uh, the ending of the original was really bad. <laughs> and the special edition <laughs> actually fixes huge amounts of problems with the movie. Um, it's long, uh, but there's a lot of great stuff in it. The, at the core, it's the story of um, the relationship between Ed Harris and Mary Elizabeth uh, Mastrantonio. Uh, um, yes, Michael Bean is in this too, and and is uh, is threatening. <laughs> um, there is a, an amazing scene where um, where Ed Harris has to allow Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio mm-hmm. to drown. And hope that maybe he could he can pump the water out of her body later <laughs> and bring her back to life, but he has to let her drown first. That is an incredible, just an incredible um, scene. Uh, the special effects are good. This is one of the first major uh, CGI usage in, in a movie with a little alien uh, uh, pseudopod uh, water water thingy that comes out of the moon pool. Um, there's aliens, yeah. There's lots of undersea action. There's crazy, uh, like submarine gadgety things in this uh, in this uh, sea base at the bottom of uh, of of the ocean, sitting on the ocean floor. Chris Elliott is a guy on a ship at one point. <laughs> it's like, why is he in this movie? But he's there. Um, Michael Bean's mustache is like an actor in itself. It is. <laughs> it is indeed. Um, good character moments. Uh, a good story arc. An interesting message. Um, and, uh, much better in the special edition, like I can't even imagine. Uh, so I, I, um, I, I'm going to pick the abyss because I want to, I want a big, uh, a big sci-fi movie and I like the abyss special edition a lot. Sadly, not on Blu-ray, um, but it's on DVD and I do recommend it. It's really good. I love, love, love that movie that I hold up that movie as one of the, uh, I can't imagine a script, a screenplay being more perfectly executed than that beat for beat for beat every element is exactly where it has to be and even though this is a really intense action action movie at no point do you ask yourself the question why is this character doing this or why is this happening and the answer is because it's a movie and that's what has to happen (laughs) The, the 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 scene that you refer to specifically I think that Hitchcock would have been absolutely thrilled to have come up with this concept that there you have two characters that are in a mini sub that is taking on water and now they have to figure out how they not die yeah. <laughs> drowned to death <laughs> and the, the I, I really want I really would rather people see this movie and see it unfold so yeah, I don't yeah. want to spoil it but what I love is that again a lesser movie would have left you thinking yeah but why didn't they try this oh come on that's no James Cameron put so much work in this to make sure that the solution they come up with, as horrible as it is, is the only solution available to them. And then it's not as though, like, after the scene, that that part of the movie is over with, oh, let's forget about the fact we went through this. No, that has an impact on how the movie has to play out after that. It's like every, like, I'll I'll, I'll stop ranting about this, but just just to give give you, like, a concrete example, Ed Harris is the star of the movie. He's the you know, he's the star, okay? He's the big name. He's the hero. So you know that if there's something big that has to be done to save the day, the hero has to do it. Nonetheless, 
at the start of the movie, he is simply like the the, the head mechanic. He's like the head of this crew on this oil derrick. He does not have the technical expertise to do the thing that he has to do. There are other people who have come down onto the onto this undersea platform who do have the expertise. Cameron figure has to has to figure out we have to have a reason why he and only he is available to do this yep. and they do oh man yep. I, I like i said but but for for all, for all my appreciation for that technical stuff it's just a rollicking great adventure movie i really think it's the best movie james cameron has ever yeah. made do you like the original cut andy no, because I, I'm sure I'm on the same page as Jason. I remember seeing the first cut and not understanding why things no, were no, happening. No, no, you don't. You literally have no idea. I mean, I think they were like, well, yeah. we'll cut it out and it'll be a little more like 2001-ish where it's like, what is happening? Nobody knows. Yeah. But, but, it's, but it's, not, it's, not, it's not only that, but the cut version, it's only, it's only about 22 minutes uh, shorter. But the reason, if you, if you got to get the movie down to two hours and 20 minutes, you are you going to take out the stuff that's really expensive expes- uh, effect shots? No, you're going to take out dialogue scenes that don't necessarily contribute to the plot but what they do is they give you the context here is the relationship between each of one of the, each and all each and every one of the workers on this oil platform and this is why this yeah. person is important to that person this is why this other person here can't just jump in he oh again it's, it's today they wouldn't cut this movie by the way because it's it's not even three hours long and an action sci-fi action movie at 170 minutes now people wouldn't even blink at it Right. The main yeah. change they'd make is that the uh, pseudopod would be pointed straight at the camera a lot more for, <laughs> for 3D, 3D effects. For 3D purposes, yes. <laughs> that explains what went wrong because I tried to watch this movie a couple of months ago and I must have gotten the special edition one because my only notes on it are super boring. <laughs> Which seemed odd because the, the non-special edition. Everybody one. loves it. Yeah. So you're I don't, saying the special edition. I don't think the special edition is super boring. I think, I mean, but it is a long movie. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But it I builds long movies. It builds. I like. I love it. Well, you 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 also need to you also need to get the the documentary about the the making of the story because that's another thing that we could talk for half hour about. We're oh, not sure. going to. But the, the it's really is like only James Cameron could will this movie into existence the way that he did. It's like, oh. I think he just I has a submarine fetish. Yeah, he does. He does that like under- this movie and Titanic. Yes, and the fact that he <laughs> descended to the deepest part of the ocean in a submarine like last year. He says yes. the, like the world record for lowest submarine dive. Uh, kind of obsessed. The the man now has Titanic money. Yep. If he yeah. wants to go to the <laughs> deepest part of the ocean money. all by himself just because he can do that. Before we get back to our draft, I want to take a moment and talk about our sponsor. It's HostGator. We love HostGator. It's a premier web hosting and domain name provider. If you're looking to start a website, HostGator can help you get started with monthly hosting plans, one-click installs, and tons of other features that make getting your site up and running easy. If you're a more advanced user or a business, HostGator can take care of you with reseller plans, VPS, and dedicated servers. HostGator guarantees 99.9% uptime, and no matter your size or needs. If you're a WordPress user, you're going to love the one-click installs and the optimized hosting platform. When you host with HostGator, you get unlimited disk space and bandwidth. It's great. They have free site builder tools that are super easy to use. And if you find yourself needing any help at all, there's 24-7 support to ensure that everything is running smoothly. So head on over to HostGator.com. That's G-A-T-O-R like an alligator to learn more and when you decide to buy something even though i'm not named dan dan is not my name don't forget to use this coupon code anyway it's dan sent me one word dan sent me get 30 percent off everything at hostgator and thanks to everybody at hostgator for sponsoring the incomparable 
me. All right, so we've we picked three rounds. Andy, lightning round. What do you got? A uh, desk set of uh, uh, Catherine, Catherine, Catherine Hepburn. And <laughs> You're bad at lightning rounds. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't know we were doing a lightning round. I want to have my notes ready the for it. Uh, lo- loves to, uh, one of those like ro- romantic comedies set in 1950s in which Spencer Tracy is like installing this ma- this huge supercomputer to do all the research for a TV network. Catherine Hepburn is the head of the like old fashioned book type research department. And they, they they start off butting heads, but they wind up falling in love. It's a great story. Also, great tech, great technology, great old fashioned heavy iron IBM uh, accumulators and stuff in there. Cool. David, I wanted to stay highbrow, so I'm going to pick the rundown uh, with The Rock and Sean William Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> Basically, Sean, uh, The Rock is a bounty hunter or retrieval expert who is sent to Brazil to, to bring back Sean William Scott. Stifler who, from American ew, Pie, yes, of course. <laughs> who has, he's uh, stuck in this town that is run by Christopher Walken. Of course. Who has enslaved all of the locals. And really, I mean, you know, there's uh, action, there's uh, 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 tranquilizer darts that give them hallucinogenic uh, things while they're hanging from trees. There are monkeys, there's a monkey that... <laughs> violates the rock's face at one point i mean it's nice you know, uh classy peter berg um, peter berg you know uh yeah. friday night lights hey yeah. uh but it, the, See, the classy my favorite part of the movie is everything christopher walken says because i swear he had to be making this all up and at the very end of the movie and you can use the spoiler horn if you want but it doesn't really matter of course the locals turn on him and shoot him and gun him down in the street and as he's dying He's spinning around with his gun in his hand. He goes, you ungrateful Oompa Loompas, and drops dead. <laughs> and you're just sitting there going, what the? Yeah, all right. Um, and there, I mean, Sold. If, I'm, glad you uh, came, I'm glad you kept it highbrow. Oh, yeah. David, you know. thank you. Steve? Uh, I like almost everything John Carpenter did in the early 80s. This is probably my favorite, 1984's Starman. Oh, nice. The touching tale of a space alien and the life-giving power of his magical glowing balls. <laughs> Jeff Bridges. <laughs> Jeff Bridges uh, is a space balls. alien. He yep. gets the gold disc that was sent off on Voyager 2, telling everybody in outer space, come to Earth, we love visitors, and naturally the government shoots down his spaceship. Sure. <laughs> and he spends the rest <laughs> of the, they spend the, rest of the film seeking out the alien to try and dissect him. Um Love it because the performance by Jeff Bridges is fantastic. Uh, he shows pitch-perfect bemusement at, uh, at all of our Earth traditions and speech patterns, and his near-orgasmic reaction to his first taste of Dutch apple pie is one of the best moments of, of uh, any performance I saw in the 80s. Got an Oscar nom for the yeah, best Yeah, Oscar nomination, yeah. He's good at bemusement. Yes. This is This is some <laughs> of his best bemusery. All right. <laughs> uh, love it. Starman, good stuff. Awesome. Uh, Karen Allen and Bridges have a real nice, sweet, genuine, uh, organically grown relationship in it. And uh, also want to put out a, a thumbs up to the score, which I always assumed was John Carpenter's, but turns out is by Jack Nietzsche. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. All right. Monty? Petey Wheatstraw. Is that, a, is that the director or the movie? <laughs> That is the movie. It is sometimes called P.D. Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law. Stars and stars Rudy Ray Moore, who is better known as Dolomite. Oh, yeah. It's from 1977. Uh, Rudy Ray Moore was most famous as a 
comic. He recorded incredibly filthy, uh, long-playing albums for people. And he would do a tale of the signifying monkey where everything rhymed. I don't have time to get into exactly how one of his rhymes sort of made it into Rapper's Delight a, a couple of years later, huh. but I assure you it's fascinating. Um, he does do some kung fu. He clearly likes kung fu, but he cannot do kung fu <laughs> at all. <laughs> and unlike a sensible movie where you bring in a stunt double, he just kind of waves his hands in a way he thinks looks like kung fu, <laughs> and then everybody falls down because it's a Rudy Ray Moore movie. Awesome. Awesome. Petey Wheatstraw. Kung Fu black exploitation combo. Yes. Excellent. All right, John. Compiling this list, I guess I've realized, in case everyone else hasn't realized already, that I kind of have a man crush on George Clooney. Yeah. Uh, so here's another, here's another George Clooney movie. Join the club. Yeah. This yeah. Is, <laughs> get in line. This get is a, a combination of uh, my out of sight pick and my good shepherd. And uh, I'm a good shepherd pick. Yeah. Well, kind of. Uh, it's Syriana. This is yeah. George Clooney as a rumpled spy. It's a serious spy movie. It has a plot that people used to say was the most confusing plot of any movie and they couldn't keep track of, but it's totally not confusing. If you just watch the movie and don't like mm. check Twitter the whole time, you will be able to follow <laughs> it. The plot is good. It's interesting. It's smart. Uh, I, it has a satisfying conclusion and it features George Clooney with a really rocking beard. All right. Syracuse out. <laughs> <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> Clooneyed. You've been Clooneyed. Uh, Dan, what about you? Uh, as much as I love Harrison Ford, for me, the iconic Jack Ryan will always be Alec Baldwin in The Hunt for Red October, which is also the best of the Tom Clancy books in that series. Also, you get Sean Connery as a Russian submarine captain, <laughs> which really makes the movie for me. Give me um, a ping for Shelley. One <laughs> ping only, um, and, and just a great film. You get you know James Earl Jones as his boss, and one of the really just fantastic cold war spy films as sean connery tries to defect with a nuclear submarine submarine from the soviet union uh great great movie really good tension and yeah um, the crazy ivan which which later gets referenced in firefly <laughs> yeah i had both of your i had sneakers and that on my list and sneakers yes. I, I put sneakers i put down at the bottom i'm like dan will probably pick that one so i'll let him have the one but i didn't want you to take red october that was low blow it's we're the same person john you remember uh. <laughs> <laughs> need to remind you yep that's a good one uh i am going i'm going to pick in my lightning round pick i'm going to pick um once from 2007 uh glenn hansard marquetta or glova it's been turned into a musical it won the oscar for best song uh it is a charming low budget movie about uh an irish uh musician and uh, a woman who's an immigrant from eastern europe who meet and he um shows he basically he shows her how to play the piano and they fall in love and uh it's a and they all uh the characters are people who can sing and uh i believe glenn hansard composed most of the music for this movie himself and he performs it and it really is kind of an amazing um it's got a great vibe and the music is good and the story is really interesting and bittersweet and it's not a it's not a really sappy kind of love story. It, it, there, there's a lot of complexity to it, and it's set in Dublin, um, and so it's got a, a, some nice uh, a, a tr gritty uh, feel of of being around, you know, busking on the streets of Dublin and things like that. And I like it a lot. Uh, I find it incredibly charming. So once is what I choose. We can do one more lightning round if you guys have the something in the. Are you ready? 
You got lightning? I can do it. Oh, yeah. All right, yeah, Andy. I can do, I can do sure. one more. Stri- lightning strikes twice. Go ahead. Michael Apted's 56 Up, latest chapter in a, a documentary series that started with a BBC a British television uh, documentary, which they interviewed seven-year-old British kids from all different like social strata, with the idea that you know if we interview if that uh, this is this is the future they all face. Here's a lower class person. Here's someone born to upper class going to the posh school, uh, and Michael Apted, who was just someone who worked on that documentary, decided to let's let's visit these seven-year-olds that age 14 then okay let's visit him at 21 and now they're all 56 years old and every seven years he goes back and whoever wants to participate they interview them all again uh and so the last one just came out uh i think it was just last year yeah. and it's cool because now they're at the age where they're elderly they have grandkids some of them have different sort of perspectives towards their own participation in the documentary and this is they're talking to a filmmaker someone who they've literally known now all of their lives so this is sort of like the closest we're going to get to the truman show ever because these are people whose lives have been at least once every seven years subject to popular speculation and scrutiny so and it's tempting to see and of course apted is going to be occasionally be unfair and when they see someone who is well, so i'm not going to do the voice but someone who's now i'm a lawyer and now i've got incredible amounts of money now i have estates and now why don't, as i'm talking about how nice it is to have nice things for my family i'm going to cut back to him at seven years old <laughs> talking about why some people succeed and why some people fail and this is why sometimes these documentary subjects are not very happy with michael did because they keep he keeps doing that <laughs> but and, and of course there's I, the entire series is worth is worth seeing you can pretty much drop the needle at any point in the series uh and have a great time highly recommended documentary series all right david all right this is one of those films that i sit down and say you know okay watch this it's a world war ii film from the mid-60s called where eagles dare based yes. on alistair mclean novel great uh, movie yeah richard burton clint eastwood going behind enemy lines uh playing spy games with nazis at a castle high up in the air called the eagle's nest which you know just you know some fantastic reverses and and tricks and con games and you know people changing loyalties back and forth and uh one of the most thrilling and i mean you can tell most of it is done with like rear projection but just a thrilling uh fight uh set piece on a cable car back and forth going up to this giant castle. Um, but Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood, just really good. And the scene where they just string all the grenade yeah. together, uh, just for like, <laughs> yeah. it gets ridiculous, but it's awesome. It's so good. Great movie. And I, I just love going, Broadsword calling Danny Boy. Broadsword calling Danny Boy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Steve, you got one more. What's it going to be? All right, here it is. Uh, in 1979, my parents... In order to capture for posterity the acting stylings of their seven-year-old son, bought our family's first VCR, which was this massive 200-pound beast with, (laughs) honest-to-God, wood paneling that uh, (laughs) looked like a family of four could use it as a fallout shelter. Uh, (laughs) At the time, you know, the VCRs were new, so you could buy movies on VHS, but there were like eight and each of them cost you about $90. (laughs) So the film my dad bought to test this thing out on, <clears throat> I watched it so many times, is The Poseidon Adventure from 1972. Uh, oh, yeah. I wanted to get on in some of that sweet Gene Hackman action. Uh, you really, you can't... Always good. I love The Poseidon Adventure. I love Gene Hackman, and these are two that are just made for each other. Um, 
you know, a rogue wave knocks over the Queen Mary onto its back, and then a handful of survivors try to make their way up to the bottom of the ship. It's a fairly simple concept, but it's done extremely well, and you just can't go wrong with Gene Hackman and Ernest Borgnine spitting pieces of the scenery at each other. <laughs> it is one of my favorite films. I understand there are people that consider this a guilty pleasure. Those people are wrong. Erwin <laughs> Allen's The Poseidon Adventure. Shelly Winters in her dowergy mode, dow- ha- having to save the day by swimming underwater. Yes, <laughs> That's a big deal. It's wonderful. <laughs> wow. But yeah, it unleashed Maureen Montgomery on this world, and that is a terrible thing. So I can understand why some people don't feel so good about the Poseidon Adventure. That was the disaster. That's right. The disaster after the disaster. Monty, kung fu us one more time. One more chop. I'm going to go with Black Dynamite. Yes. <laughs> that one I've actually heard of. Oh, it's super good. Like, it's pretending to be a bad black exploitation movie, but it's actually really funny. It stars Michael Jai White who is an authentic martial artist and huge muscly guy. So already it's got more fighting credibility than a lot of actual black exploitation movies. All the music in it sounds exactly like black exploitation music, which means it sounds amazing. And it's just really funny and has some really good fight scenes in it. If you only watch one black exploitation parody and you should, this is the one. This you is watch. the one. All right, good. Wait, you should only watch one. You're saying, yeah, I'm gonna say don't bother watching. Don't be a menace. Something, something, something to your friends in the hood. Just watch Black Dynamite, and and you you can't go wrong. Black Dynamite is the good black exploitation parody movie. That's all you need to take away. <laughs> Got it, John. So my final pick is going to be picked based on the traditional criteria of movie I saw on television this past week. (laughs) (laughs) And was reminded that it exists and that I'd seen it before. Uh, This is A Simple Plan, 1998 movie by Sam Raimi, uh, starring Bill Paxson. Remember when he could open a movie? He was the leading man. Uh, Bridget Fonda, the the female lead. Yeah, well, you know. And uh, and Billy Bob Thornton. who I'd forgotten was even in this movie the first time I saw it, because the first time I saw it, I didn't know who Billy Bob Thornton was, but I was reminded watching this that Billy Bob Thornton can actually act. He's pretty darn good. Uh, There's a reason he became famous and then was in a series of bad movies and became a parody of himself. But anyway, he's a good actor. Uh, it's it's sort of a proto-Fargo. It's kind of like Fargo yep. minus, minus the humor, but with like a black shriveled heart in, in place of the humor. <laughs> and, you're feel like, and the outcome of the movie is entirely predictable. You know exactly what's going to happen, and then it happens, but it somehow keeps you watching anyway. So if it comes on, this is definitely like, and if it comes on TV, if it comes on TV, if you've never seen it, you should watch it. I think I've seen that one, and, and I think it was good if I yeah, saw well, it. Seeing it now, like you're like, oh, I've seen so many better movies that do the same thing. And that's true, but you know those movies didn't exist in 1998. So right. like, I give it credit. All right. It's based on a really good novel, too. All right. And who? And then the novelist wrote the screenplay. Yeah. Dan, what do you have for me? I'm um, sticking with the Alec Baldwin train for the first <laughs> movie that I ever saw. It's a great train. You can, yell at, you can yell at people and play words with friends as long as you like on the Alec Baldwin train. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first movie I ever went to see by myself, um, like without parents, um, with my friend Jason Tossi. Get ready to feel old, everybody. Um was the 1994 movie The Shadow, the adaptation of the Orson Welles radio drama. (laughs) I love this movie. Terrible, campy movie. Great movie. Fantastic. I thought thought it was a solid, solid movie. Peter Boyle is a a taxi driver. Uh, Jonathan Winters, Ian McKellen, 
uh tim curry penelope ann miller like great movie and like just totally plays up the camp which is for me is the best part which is you know he's <laughs> bad lamont cranston as the you know moonlights as the shadow and um john lone who plays shiwan khan with the last remaining you know descendant of genghis khan is here to take over the world and yet they have this great like chemistry between the two of them you know he'll talk about taking over the world and then say and by the way where did you get that tie <laughs> you know <laughs> oh brooks brothers is that midtown you know like it's just it goes all completely <laughs> off the rails and seems totally aware that it's a parody of itself and it's just it's just delightful and alec baldwin you know i don't know he's this is his you know, one of his comedic bright spots sort of before he made his later resurgence as such a great comedic actor. I, I kid you not. I have the shadow action figures of like regular Alec Baldwin. And then they did an invisible. one. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I had a, um, so I had to get this movie in region two DVD because it did not exist in region <laughs> one in widescreen, only in pan and scan. And I was like, no way am I doing that. <laughs> Wow. And so I had, that's why I have a region free DVD player still in the shadow. All right. So uh, it's come to me for the last pick. And what I really want to do here is just pick Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I, thought, I thought about that. It occurred to me on my turn like, nobody has picked this yet. And say, in your face, John Syracuse and Dan Morin, because Star Wars is still laying out there. And we did a whole draft yep. and you didn't pick Star Wars. I picked the good Star Wars movie. But, two drafts. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm not going to do it mostly because um, Monty has taught me an important lesson, which is people are aware of Star Wars. I'm not going to do anything other than say in your face, which I just said. <laughs> oh, and make a real pick. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Eat it, Syracuse. Eat it. Bl- Bloodsport is still available, Jason. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to I'm gonna instead pick a movie that maybe not everybody knows about that I enjoy, which is um, a 1991 film that is a, 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 an homage to Alfred Hitchcock, directed by Kenneth Branagh, called Dead Again. <gasps> Nice. Yes. Uh, which I which I like a lot, and my wife and I still quote this movie to each other, mm-hmm. mostly in the context of brandishing a pair of scissors and saying, "These are for you." And then uh, we put the scissors down safely because you don't run with scissors in the house. It's a it's a fascinating story about uh, uh, a man and woman in the present day, or in 1991, and and in black and white in the past. And you get the sense that they have been reincarnated. And there's a, a an interesting story about the, there's a it's a he's a Kenneth Branagh in the past is a uh, a musician in Hollywood. Um, Emma Thompson, you know, the, there's questions about is the reincarnation real or not. There's a really nice twist there that happens. Derek Jacobi is in it. He is fantastic. Um, there is a. There is a, a a brief Campbell Scott appearance, which is hilarious because you think, hey, maybe he's in this movie, and then he goes away again, and it's very funny. And uh, and also, there's a very strange cameo by Robin Williams, which is actually not bad at all. It's actually pretty good. Um, and uh, who's the other person that I wanted to mention here? Andy Garcia is in this, and he's a cop in the past. And then uh, he also makes a present day appearance later in the movie that's actually pretty great. And it is definitely a twisty, turny, Hitchcock kind of feeling movie. Um, I think this, I'm not sure if this was the movie that Branna directed right after he directed Henry yeah. V, but it was not It was not soon after that. Yeah, this, that was his follow-up. Yeah. And it, it was written by the guy who wrote 
out of sight. Yeah, Scott Frank. So see, yeah. it's all connected. Um, and it's a lot of fun and I think it gets overlooked now. Um, and some really nice twists and, uh, and, uh, you know, Kenneth Branagh made a bunch of really good movies in the, in the, uh, late eighties and early nineties. Um, and then, you know, he made other movies later, but, uh, this was, (laughs) this was a really good, uh, really good fun, uh, Hitchcock inspired thriller with this interesting supernatural overtone of, are these people, you know reincarnated from the people who were here in los angeles 50 years before and there's an interesting i actually answer. forgot this movie existed yeah and i well, remember loving it when i saw it that's why i didn't mm-hmm. pick star wars as i thought you know this is a great movie i think people should see it and you may not have even heard about it so dead You've done the right thing Jason. dead well done again great title too there's also that little voyeuristic thrill you get when you know you're watching a movie in which the two leads are married and within a couple of years after this movie divorced, they got divorced yes. So you try to figure, okay, did did it happen during the shooting of this movie, or were they working out some of the problems of their existing? Wasn't during uh, problem, wasn't during this movie because then they did much ado about nothing, and they're both in that too. Okay, true. And then, right. well, but, but, yes. the, but they're professionals. It's possible oh, they said, "Look, we're going to stay <laughs> together for the yeah. purpose of Shakespeare." I think they didn't do that, but yeah, yes, it's possible. <laughs> but it, it does it adds to the kind of classic feel. I actually think this movie might work better now that it's been out for twenty years as a kind of view into the that, that classic movie kind of feel might actually serve it better yeah. but um anyway dead again kenneth branagh um some very enterprising one of our listeners is going to find a way to connect all of our movies together except for monty's <laughs> monty's <laughs> movies connect together and then you just need one that monty pick them. one of monty's movies can connect to us and then we're all set but that's okay because everybody gets their own day I was under the impression movies. that my movies only needed to cohere with themselves. That's, no, no, no that's, that's totally true. I'm just saying some conspiracy theorist of a of a listener is going to be like, wait, this person's in this movie, and that's directed by the same person who directed this movie, who did the music for this movie. And then they're going to figure out they're all connected, except for, like, Miami Connection. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ironically enough. Strangely One enough. of the guys in Kill and Kill Again somehow went on to be in The Gods, are cr- the Gods Must Be Crazy. Hmm. Okay. Okay, it might take a couple steps. In yeah, we might. Some of we these. might. Somebody will come up with a grand unified uh, theorem of the incomparable movie draft, but that it won't 9, be me. Thousand degrees of the incomparable. Yes, exactly. Well, so that's it. We have we have picked a bunch of movies. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> Why did we do this again? That's what we were here to do. You might. We could debate what else we did, but we did that. We picked thirty-five movies, and we have now drafted. The second annual incomparable film festival has come to its conclusion. So uh, there, there's a lot of fun stuff, and I've I've got uh, movies I need to watch now. I've gonna, I'm going to start uh, searching AMC or Turner Classic or not AMC because they don't show movies anymore. They just show TV shows. <laughs> uh, Turner Classic movies, or I'll look at my next Netflix or Amazon and see what I can uh, see what I can find. Lots of good selections here. There are a couple of movies here I need to rewatch because I remember really hating them. Yeah, so I know. I, I, was right. I, I saw you saying that. that. That's that's fascinating. That's good. That's 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 worth it. And also, you can go see the Third Man. That's fine. Just, Everybody knows the Third Man is it's, good. It's, it's substantially better. Of, of the two really good movies that are that take place in the sewers, this and <laughs> Ninja Turtles. There you go. I think this. I think this is up. There. Yeah. Don't forget. By Chud. the way, a great great crossover between the two of them. Chud is an excellent excellent sewage based sure. movie. I have nothing against the Third Man. It is a fine film. Yep. All right. So I want to thank my 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 drafters. They uh, they did excellent work tonight. And uh, so now I'm gonna I'm gonna thank them by by reciting what they've what they've chosen. Annie Anatko, you chose the conversation, the taking of Pelham one two three, the big year, 
desk set and 56 up thank you for being here thanks for having me I, I, it's nice to have an opportunity to talk about things and talk a about movies into a microphone it's good exactly I, I i like it too david lore thank you for being here you picked wonder boys the royal tenenbaums night of the iguana the rundown and where eagles dare i uh, thank you for having me i look forward to the marmaduke episode yes it's it's uh, it's inevitable <laughs> one, of, one of these days yeah one it'll be days. our last episode marmaduke uh, yeah somebody could have damn picked, it could have picked marmaduke <laughs> the oogie loves was out there nobody t- picked that either <laughs> Uh, Steve Lutz, you picked The Terminator, Poltergeist, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Starman, and The Poseidon Adventure. Yes, my theme for my day this time is movies that Steve likes. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. You don't need another theme. Steve Fest 2013. Right. That's the way, man. Steve Day. Steve Day. Tuesday. Steve Day. Uh, Monty, Kill and Kill Again, Miami Connection, Ninja 3 The Domination, Petey Wheatstraw, and Black Dynamite. That was fun to say. Thank you. A guaranteed good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you are not going to go wrong with any of those picks. You're not going to go wrong when you go out to the, dri- the drive-in at the edge of town <laughs> for our special drive-in night. Salute to Kung Fu at the drive-in. Part It's the, the kickoff of Incomparable Film Festival Week. We'll be out at the drive-in. Movies can be fun. Movies can be fun. You're absolutely right. I disagree. <laughs> John Syracuse, Out of Sight, Breaking Away, The Good Shepherd, Syriana, a simple plan. Thank you for being here. I already have next year's movies picked. <laughs> I bet. I bet you do. <laughs> Star Wars it's still on the board. Star Wars it's still out there. Greg Noss is going to just scream when we left Star Wars on the board again. I think Star Wars needs to stay there in perpetuity. I think so. We should just honor it that way. And the third man. <laughs> Dan, Sneakers, Zero Effect, Army of Darkness, The Hunt for Red October, and The Shadow. Thanks for being here. It's been a pleasure, and you can't all tell me that you don't want to hang out and watch that movie festival. Yeah, that would be fun. Heck yeah. I'm, I might go uh, check my email during the shadow, but that's okay. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no. Okay. No, no, no. All right. Don't interrupt anybody's words with friends game. I won't. That's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. The shadow has a knife with like four edges, man. Four edges on it. <laughs> oh, on my this God. Knife. Was it made by oh. shit? It's insane, this knife. Oh, that knife. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course my picks were high fidelity, Zelig, the abyss special edition once and dead again. Those are solid picks, Jason. Good job. Thanks, Steve. I like your picks too. Those were picks that Steve liked, but I like them too. Except for the ones I haven't seen. I like them too. I like them. They are good. We're here with our post-draft analysis. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and joining me in the studio today is Philip Michaels, our movie expert on The Incomparable, and he's going to be analyzing the draft picks that you just heard. Phil, welcome. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me here. Yes, it's very nice to have you. Now, of course, people may know you from your time doing The Incomparable uh, Old Movie Club episodes ago. They they may know me from previous episode of The Incomparable. Yes, that's right. Indeed, mm-hmm. as they may know you as Dwight David Eisenhower yes. in a classic comedy bit never to be repeated. Exactly. So uh, I've asked you as a, an opinionated person about movies to do the Mel Kiper Jr. style, that's an ESPN reference, nerds, mm-hmm. uh, analysis of the movie draft picks uh, and to tell us who the uh, who the winners and the losers were in the incomparable movie draft just completed. Well, I've I've donned my Mel Kiper Jr. wig with its uh, formidable widow's peak. Yes, thank and you. and um, I, I have to say, Anako uh, started off the draft strong. What what a number one pick! Oh, the conversation, right? As we are having now. 
a conversation. Indeed. I mean, a, a fantastic pick, and he follows it up with a with a great one two punch. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be the this is going to be the the oft overlooked 1970s great uh, uh, drafts. And then then comes the curveball with the with the big year, which I, I haven't seen. I, I've heard it's all right. It's a movie about bird watchers, though. More S- recent. Some people don't like that movie. No, some people do not. I um, love the book. The book is by a Sports Illustrated writer and is a very good book. I have uh, the the movie's on my watch list. I haven't gotten to to looking at it yet, but the uh, my main objection to it is you have you have this big theme going, Andy, and then you you deviate from your plan. I then, believe he had some movies sniped from him. Oh, well, then we go into the death set, which is all right, not my favorite Hepburn and Tracy movie. That would be Pat and Mike. And then uh, I think he just in the in the last round he loses the plot with uh, with fifty six and up, uh, a documentary which yeah, documentaries are all right but a multi part documentary is is he is he drafting all of the documentaries Jason or just the one I think he's drafting just the one but who can if, tell if I went to a film festival and said all right here's part seven of this documentary series that you haven't seen the first six parts of I would burn down the theater previously and I would be and people fifty six up. And people would would build a statue in my honor ah, I see. for bil- burning down the theater. So, right. a, a great draft just that that went off the rails. All I right, think. fair enough. What about uh, Monty Ashley? Monty has uh, succeeded, I think, in that he picked five movies. I I couldn't I wouldn't recognize them if you showed them to me now. So so well done to you, Monty Ashley. Says the movie expert who has seen none of your movies. He's, he's outwitted you, is yes. what you're saying. Or yes, he, I've heard of Miami Connection. Yes, people, I've heard nice things about Miami Connection, but all the rest, it, it's all he. I think he picked Pops and Whistles and and um, oh yeah, that film. I think those were his other picks. You know, the day after we recorded the incomparable movie draft i listened to an episode of the flop house that that cites the miami connection i went hey monty that's your movie it's the movie everyone is talking about on podcasts these days i guess so good job monty yes uh if it if it pops up on one of the british football podcasts that i listen to we'll know something's up yeah yeah viral marketing gone awry yeah where's our money miami connection Mm. Guys, I guess we need a Miami connection. All right, David Lore. David Lore. I'm trying to make the 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 make sense of his picks. If he went in with a theme, if he went in with a with a plan of attack, and it seems to be uh, random stuff I like. Mm. I guess was his theme. Uh, Wonder Boys, Ten and Bombs. They're 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 movies of a kind, I suppose. If you squint hard enough, yeah, they're sort of in the same same genre. Uh, and hey, Night of the Iguana. That's nice. That's a good pick. He loses me with the rundown. This is this um, this is his fifty six and up. This is his Waterloo. Um, I actually paid good American money to see this in the theater. Why, why would you do that? Um, because I am married to a woman who quite enjoys the movie presence of Dwayne the Rock Johnson, um. and so so I sat in the theater and watched the movie, and um, it's um. It's a movie. It okay. it runs for about a hundred minutes. It's eligible for the draft. Yes, is what you're telling it me. is eligible. There's a beginning and a middle and an end, and the characters speak, and something happens, and then you all go home. And and credits roll. Yeah, at the end. yeah. And even though I I sat in the movie and maintained uh, possession of my five wits throughout, if you if you gave me a quiz on plot points right now, I couldn't tell you what happened in it. And yet, of all the movies in Christendom, this is one David Lore would pick. So. Hmm. Um, 
I don't even, he picked where eagles dare. I don't even think that is the best Clint Eastwood battles Nazis picture that he could have picked. What would that have been? Kelly's Heroes. All right. He's a tank driver, and I believe uh, Don Rickles is in Kelly's Heroes, if, if if memory serves, and I think memory is serving here. That's that's the portion of my brain where I stored the plot of uh, the rundown is instead possessed by where Don Rickles has appeared. All right. Uh, puzzling draft. It he stumbles late. Okay, so sort of like Inaiko starts yeah, strong. Very and then, much so. All right. That might that might be related to the fact that I told people to bring you know three or so picks and then they, everybody made things up afterward. Maybe my fault a little bit. Well, but yeah. you got to come prepared to a draft. You huh? do. You have to have a deep board. You do. I would not. Uh, if I ever uh, were in a draft, I would not walk into the room with less than a hundred movies. All right. Fair like enough. A hundred movies, or you're just winging it. All right. And you deserve the ridicule you get from a know nothing jackass. So let's let's go deep on Steve Letts's picks. No. <laughs> No, because um, if he is going to pick Winnie the Pooh and not take this exercise seriously, then I don't see why I should. All right. Fair enough. He did. He picked the Poseidon Adventure. He well, then it. he should have to sing the morning after. Oh. Wow. There's uh, got to be a morning after. Let's talk about Dan if I Moran. Sing, if I sing more than six <laughs> seconds, I think you have to pay them money. Yes, let's talk about Dan Moran then and just forget about Steve Lutz. Okay. He was never here. Who? Dan Morin. Oh, Dan Morin. Well, he has the most um, uh, thematic unity, I think, of anyone in the draft. And yeah. as 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 you you can tell, I kind of like the idea of thematic unity. I like movies that sort of flow and 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 go into each other. Uh, unfortunately, he has the single worst pick of anyone <laughs> in the draft, um, which is which is the shadow. <laughs> now, Dan um, and I, um, we don't always see eye to eye on movies. He's a big fan of. Of Hudson Hawk, You're right? And I, I think that is one of the worst motion pictures, pound for pound, that has ever been been released. The Shadow. I saw The Shadow uh, at a press screening in 1994, um, at, for my college newspaper, and um, I do not have happy memories of that time in my life. Perhaps Dan likes it. Also, The Shadow, one of the one of the lamest uh, uh, superheroes. I have the ability to. To cloud men's minds. Oh, that's that's good. Do you ask them complicated problems? No, I just sort of they get they get confused and disoriented, and I go about my business. And um, it was Alec Baldwin when Alec Baldwin yes. was desperately trying to find a movie franchise. This is where you can get your Alec Baldwin action figure. We determined yes from the shadow, indeed, because he um, he was originally his franchise was going to be the um, the Jack Tom, Ryan, right? The Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy movies, and he and, and Tom Clancy didn't didn't get on. Mm. So instead, Harrison Ford walked into that role, and 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 Alec Baldwin was well. I got to get me on this sweet franchise train. So ooh, the shadow looks like it. It's got <laughs> some legs. And if, if Peter Boyle is the uh, is the lovable chauffeur in that movie, I, I want to say. So how so how do we do the math there? If Dan's got uh, good picks, you said, but then the consistent the shadow. picks, and then the shadow. Well, everyone has a reach in their draft. Everyone has their 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 their. their um, Darko uh, in the draft with LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony. He <laughs> he grabbed Darko and. Uh, and and that's where we are. All right, that's a basketball reference, yeah, nerds. nerds. Well, <laughs> and I, I don't even like basketball. <laughs> okay, let's go to John Syracuse. Uh, gave Morin a run for his money in uh, at least in terms of thematic consistency. At least there was a a, rec- a recognizable pattern. There there was no there were no crazy Ivans to go back to ah. Jack Ryan uh, fighting the the 
the the Russians in the in the submarine movie. Yeah. Um, I'd give him the edge. He was he he came the closest to to capture it in this draft. But then there's the Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd, the not so Good Shepherd <laughs> is what they should call that. You don't like Robert De Niro's uh, direction? No, I don't like the movie. the The movie is basically um, it, I, I'm sure this is discussed earlier in the podcast, but it's it's the history of the CIA as told through the eyes of Matt Damon, who does not age a whit in the movie. <laughs> and Robert De Niro, it's a short it, history. Robert De Niro is the head of the CIA, and he's he's a diabetic wreck. And each scene, he's losing another limb. And um, towards the end, I think he's just a head in a box, like barking orders. And oh, the diabetes! It's kidding me and uh and uh angelina jolie does the angelina jolie i i'm i'm crazy and beautiful but mostly crazy and it's it's an emotionally dead movie to me and um yeah it's uh probably the second worst pick of the draft wow um uh that's it stands out because again a really strong draft but everyone has their reach everyone has their uh has their uh, their Achilles heel, and this was uh, Syracuse's. All right. Well, that wraps up all of the people who picked. Yep. Mr. Everyone. There's no need to talk about anyone else. Someone picked High Fidelity. Oh, yeah. Magnificent pick. Yes. Magnificent. Oh, good. And then Zelig. Eh. I, you know, I'm not a Woody Allen fan. Yeah. As I, I like, think we like, established. I like Woody Allen, and yeah. I like that that movie. It's different from his other movies. Yeah, I think if you were to go for 1980s Woody Allen, Purple Rose of Cairo might be a. a Stronger selection, one. but Radio you know. Days is good too. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Abyss. Eh. No, 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 no. The special edition. Oh, okay then. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> uh, once, really, not, uh, apart from Monty, this was the 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 movie that I've never heard of. This movie. Oh. Well, it, it's not the most. Well, it won the Oscar but, for best song. But, but then that's I look no endorsement. But then I look. Yeah, lots of yeah, <laughs> like you say. Um, I believe. Uh, Poseidon Adventure might have won the Oscar. This might be the most relevant song to ever win the Oscar because Mm -hmm. it's a huge part of what happens in the movie and it's performed by its stars. Sure. So it's actually written by its stars. It's actually not like. And now Bruce Springsteen is going (laughs) to sing a song about AIDS. Over the credits. (laughs) Over the credits. I I was going to say, though, I I didn't recognize it from the title and then I looked it up on IMDb and I said, oh, right. That one. That movie with the Irish people. It's Irish people. Yeah, he's Irish. He's an Eastern European right. immigrant, but yeah. Right. That's the one. Okay. Yeah. Well identified. Yes, thank you. And uh, dead again, um, whereas everyone else in the draft seemed to be the final round is uh, the shadow. Uh, you you <laughs> actually, I think, finished strong. Oh, good. You you were one of the, the you righted the ship. Oh, you, you, it's uh, good to hear. You closed out the draft. It was my duty to close the draft out on a on a high on note. A high I could have picked Star Wars too. I, but I, I, I that again. I think I think Dead Again is um um an underappreciated movie. It's been a while since I've seen it, so maybe it doesn't hold up as well. But, yeah, I don't um, know. I got to go back and watch it. It's been a few years. But uh, um, Kenneth Branagh is a pretty good director, and he that is? was a that was a nice uh, modern day film noir. Take. Right, little uh, Hitchcock, uh, little Hitchcock homage. thrown in. These All right, so are for you. these are for you. We do that around the house. Um, the anytime the scissors are being picked up. So uh, lay it on me. Who do you think? Uh, who are our winners and our losers from the incomparable second annual movie draft? I think the um, the draft, the the film festival. I would go to the listeners are the real winners. Well, yes, the listeners. Yeah, <laughs> you know who really won. Anyone listening to this segment, <laughs> they um, got to the end. Yay! Yeah, they got to the end and now can go on with their lives. Uh-huh. But um, I would think that the winner, the person whose film festival I would, I would, I would pay to go see, 
would be Dan Warren. Wow. I would you wa- would you like go have dinner during the screening of the shadow? That's when um, check your email. That's when I would run to the bathroom and and maybe pick up some snacks or <laughs> yeah or uh, it's a whole movie. You could yeah. just step out. Yeah, yeah. I could I have a sandwich. Check on the babysitter. See how yeah. she's doing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think he had the best draft. Uh, uh, second prize would be you or Syracuse. We'll say you since you're in the room with me. Good, yeah. excellent uh, choice. Uh, and Syracuse just maybe a step behind. Anako, lore, two over the map, all over the place, up and down, highs and lows. But uh, Monty, Monty wins points for having a clear plan. He's going to be doing his selections out at uh, the uh, at the uh, drive-in movie theater at the edge of town. Exactly. Exactly, I, and certainly there there would be, I, I think, his has an audience, I'm just not the audience all for right. it. And um, I think that those that concludes all the no, people no. who were in the draft. But there's Steve Lutz. No, there wasn't. Wasn't there. You don't want to acknowledge Steve no, at all? I refuse anyway? to acknowledge that person. <laughs> all right. Winnie the Pooh. There you have it. There's our post-podcast analysis. Fox and the Hound is your 1980s Disney pick. All right. Fox and the Hound. And that wraps it up for the Incomparables post-game, post-draft, film analysis edition. Thank you, Philip Michaels, for being here and questioning all of our decisions. Thank you. It was very fun to uh, ridicule other people's uh, fondest choices. Without being in front of them. No, exactly. That's the best kind of ridicule when you can do it from the safety of distance. That's right. And that brings us to the end of the Incomparable Film Festival. Once again, I've been your host, as always, Jason Snell, and thanks to everybody out there for listening to our silliness, and maybe you'll go see some of these movies. So until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.